0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
2: There are few things in life more likely to inspire dread than a trip to the dentist. I mean, even if you are someone who doesn't get that tingle of fear from the drilling sound or you're not worried about needles or what have you, even if you put all of that to the side... At the end of it all, there's a giant bill waiting for you. My name's Nick Healy. I'm going to be filling in for Rochelle for the next little while. Today, I'm coming to you from Shepparton in the Goulburn Valley region. And we're about a little bit over two weeks into 2024. And I would say if you're anything like me, you're probably working through that new year to-do list. There's a really good chance that a dental checkup is on that list. But how likely are you to cross dentist visit off? Is it just becoming too expensive? And what are the knock-on impacts of not going to the dentist? Now, late last year, the federal government was looking at a range of dental reform options. So, ran from subsidising a capped amount of preventative work only through to universal dental coverage. And yes, the dollar amount being attached to those would make your eyes water, So how do we go about making dental care affordable and accessible to all? How realistic is an uncapped universal coverage? And what are the broader social impacts of ensuring dental care is affordable?
1: On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio.
2: This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This morning, I'd really love to hear from you. Have you put off seeing a dentist because it's just too expensive. What did you do in return? And and I guess what should be covered when you go and see the dentist? What should be free? What should be affordable? Now, the Parliamentary Budget Office, as I said a bit earlier, they've costed out eight potential ways of expanding Medicare to improve the way we get dental care. It's on the back of a Greens-led Senate inquiry late last year. Matt Hopcraft is one of the people who gave evidence at the hearings. He's the CEO of the Victorian branch of the Australian Dental Association. Matt's actually joining me from the Melbourne studio. Good morning.
0: Hey, Nick. Great to be here. I'm actually not the CEO of the Australian Dental Association anymore. I'm uh, up at Melbourne Dental School. Oh, my apologies for that. That's
2: okay. Let's say tomorrow the government finds a few billion dollars behind the couch in the lodge. Is that free dental for all just done and dusted?
0: Look, if they found a a couple of billion dollars um, and they decided to direct that towards dental care, that would be a fantastic thing because it's something that we in the profession have been advocating for for a long time. We know that there are so many people who are missing out on necessary health care. Two billion dollars wouldn't fix the whole problem, but it would certainly go a a long way to fixing some some of the problems that we're currently seeing.
2: But this can't be as simple as just throwing money at it, can it?
0: No, nothing's ever as simple as just throwing money at it. I mean, it's, it's a very complex problem that we have. Um, you know, around about half of Australians don't visit the dentist every year. Um, one of the big reasons for that is cost. Um, but there are things like anxiety and phobias that, that keep people away and some people don't need to go. Um but if we suddenly bought in a scheme and one of the options I'm sure we'll get to talking about is is universal coverage for dental mm. care. Um we probably don't have the workforce to actually allow that to happen. You know, we've got about twenty-four thousand dental practitioners in Australia at the moment who are managing the oral health of about half of the population every year. So you know, if we suddenly injected another couple of billion dollars in in a way of moving towards universal healthcare, we we probably then need to think about do we have the workforce to support that and, and then do we have some of the other things that we need to do to, to not only treat disease but to prevent disease, which I think is much more important for us to focus on.
2: So cost is one element of it, but as you say, workforce, a big one. What's the pipeline look like? Do you know? I mean, are people signing up? Are people going through this, this education? Is there a passion to becoming a dentist?
0: <laughs> I, I, I certainly hope so. Um, as as you know, someone who is you know, heavily involved in dental education, certainly we see you know, there's a big demand for people doing dentistry and, and oral health courses. Um, and, and certainly, you know, since the time that I trained nearly thirty years ago, we've seen a, a huge growth in the number of dental schools and the number of students who who are studying. Um, I think one of the one of the complications that feeds into this is that is that student education now is is really expensive. So there's a a group of Students training to become dentists who mm-hmm. are going to be coming out at the other end with three hundred thousand dollars or more of of debt to get a, a degree um, and then that has an impact that has a flow on effect in terms of the cost of of care and how services are delivered so you know there are there are sort of broader things that we really should be looking at in you know how do we make if we want to make dentistry more affordable for people, um, maybe we need to think about how do we make the education more affordable in a way that, you know, perhaps it is for for people training to be doctors.
2: Matt, I want to step back because you say that many people in your industry, in your profession, you've been wondering how you make it more affordable. There can be, and just I do apologise, but there can be a sense sometimes to think of dentists as just sitting back, raking in money, loving the fact that people have to come and pay. Obviously, you are still medical professionals. You want to see people be well.
0: That, absolutely, I mean, at, at, at the heart of what we do, it's about improving people's oral health. I think it's unfortunate that 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 perception is out there, and you know, one of the things that I'm really um, big on teaching is is around the importance of trust and ethics and and those sorts of things that fit within the education of any health professional. I think really what your question is is getting to, or your comment is getting to, is that. Um, we we heavily subsidise, and it really gets to the you know what this Senate inquiry is about. We ha- as as a, as a society we heavily subsidise healthcare. Mm. So the governments, state and federal, pay about eighty percent of the cost of hospital care. They pay about eighty percent of the cost of medical care if you go and see a, a, a doctor. They pay only about twenty percent of the cost of seeing a dentist. Um, A chunk of that is the private health insurance rebate, so that helps people to take up private health insurance that then helps to subsidise their healthcare. And then a portion of it goes to funding either publicly run state dental services or the child dental benefits schedule, which helps support about 45% of low-income kids to see the dentist. So the government doesn't invest a lot of money into, into dentistry. Therefore, people have to pay the majority of that cost out of pocket. And if you had to pay the majority of your doctor's fees out of pocket or the majority of your hospital care out of pocket, you might then have a a slightly different perception. So I think that, you know, we have Uh to understand that healthcare is inherently expensive to provide. um, And if the government subsidizes a large chunk of it, it doesn't seem so expensive to the consumer. When the government doesn't subsidize it, it's when it seems like it's really expensive.
2: Caroline in St Kilda. Caroline, good morning to you.
3: Yeah, hi. Um, actually, I just got a reminder for a uh, dental appointment on the January and I'm probably going to cancel it because I know it's work I'm meant to be having done on a crown um, right. and I've been told I need three. I'm 60 and I've been told I need three crowns. I've thought about going to Thailand uh, because I know people that have had successful trips over there to get a lot of work done. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to bring up was that they now offer this payment uh, plan. I don't know the name of it, but it's this new system where you can get major work done and then enter into a, you know, you pay it off over a period of time, um, which concerns me on a number of levels. One is that how affordable is it to get the work done in the first place? But secondly, another thing that's putting people in debt. So it's almost like an afterpay um, you know, situation where you're having to do that. So I certainly will be voting Greens because their policy is around uh, universal dental health care um, and I wanted to put in my two cents worth. And I'm a teacher and I think um, when I look at students and, you know, you recognise through poverty that teeth and um, I was brought up by a father that always said, you know, that one of the most important things is to look after your teeth and he always took me to the dentist, etc.
2: Caroline, thank you for calling in. And it's very interesting the point you make about considering going overseas for more affordable healthcare. Matt Hopcraft, I mean, we've heard a lot of tales just um, anecdotally about people who do travel rather than get their dental work in Australia simply because we, even when you factor in that uh, heading overseas expense, it's still cheaper.
0: Yeah. And I mean, thanks, Caroline, for the call. I think she raised a, a number of points. Um, it, you know, It does go back to the comparative costs in different countries, so it, it, you know, it's cheaper to provide health care in, in some countries. Um, the caution that, that I, would, I would always say to someone travelling overseas is that there's, there's a, that risk that if something does go wrong, any medical health procedure carries a, a, a small risk to it. Hmm. Um, you know, how do you then get that fixed up if your provider is now overseas? You know, if, if that in, and invariably people go overseas for more complicated work, so the risks are, are greater. Um, and so there is that that problem, and we do see those examples. A lot of people come back with no problems, but people who come back and they have complications and it's really difficult. I think the other point that Carolyn made, that's, that is it, a really good one, um, and, it, and it sort of links again to this discussion, it's about it's about inequity, it's about disadvantage. You know, she mentioned poverty. Um, and we know that, that dental diseases are particularly, um, have, a, have a very strong socioeconomic gradient. It's one of the, you know, poor oral health is one of the strongest indicators um, of, of inequality. Mm. Uh, and so, it, you know, it really points to the need for us to be making sure that we're building a system that that helps to target and, and help people who are otherwise struggling to afford care.
2: And talking about that afford care, I've had a text in saying, uh, an anonymous text, I have to stop listening now. Last year, I spent 6K at the dentist. It's been so traumatic that cost. I just can't bear to be reminded. That's on a taxable income of 27,000. It's been nightmarish. There is an inequality and it, it's more, I, I guess some of my concern is that there is a tendency to think that what we worry about when we talk dental care is cosmetic, but this is about
0: oral health fundamentally it is and you know let's let's we can come back and talk about the 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 cosmetic side of things but you know one in one in three kids by the age of five to six have tooth decay in their baby teeth and it's about Mm. 40 percent by the age of 12 to 14 in their adult teeth tooth decay is the leading cause of preventable hospitalization so kids being hospitalized for a preventable reason tooth decay is the the leading cause for kids in australia there's a lot of there's a lot of un treated disease out there that's stopping people, you know, we think about kids, how that might impact on their education at school. We talk about adults and their ability to, to get a job, um, because so much of our and you know, this is the kind of the link to the, the cosmetic bit, but if you don't if if you've got a, a missing front tooth, or if you've got decay in that front tooth, um, that's much harder for you to get a job. And that's not about you know, cosmetics and trying to look like a movie star. Right. That's trying to you know, be in society. The, the economic cost of untreated dental disease in terms of its impact on society is probably around a billion dollars a year. So, again, we need to reframe some of how we're talking about this as being investing in people's health and well-being, which will generate um, a, a positive benefit for individuals but for the community as well.
2: So, in terms of the workforce, just going back to that topic, what is available now? Could we see a certain level of capped coverage being increased,
0: and and that would be doable within the amount of people we have working in the industry at the moment? Absolutely, and and I think um, you know a workforce will respond to the system that it that it um, that it is set up. To deal with. I think Anne-Marie's question it sounded like she was going to talk about the senior dental benefits scheme so there was an Mm. aged care Royal Commission a number of years ago uh, and that highlighted some really significant neglect of oral health in people living in aged care facilities and one of the recommendations out of that report which has been picked up in this Senate inquiry report is a senior dental benefit scheme. So I think a lot of people who gave um, evidence to the Senate inquiry talked about that as being a really good place to start. Um, it builds on a, a scheme that already exists, so a mechanism that already exists for kids with the child dental benefit schedule, um, and then allows it to expand to another age group. And then over time, I think it allows you to to gradually Build um, effectively what you know. The the Senate had as their option two of sort of a means tested, making sure that we're targeting funds to people who need it the most. But everyone who has a, a healthcare card or a concession card would then be able to access that sort of service. And I think if you built that up over time, the workforce would be able to respond to that um, effectively. I think there's a danger if we talk about you know everyone says universal healthcare is where we really need to get to. There's a risk that if we went there as the, as the first step, we skipped over these other steps and just went straight to universal, um, I think the risk there is that the money will end up going to probably the people who don't need it the most. The people who need it the most will continue to miss out um, and, we, and we don't have the workforce to really allow that to happen.
2: I mean, you do raise an incredibly important point that this isn't the decision that we have to stick by. I mean, as you say, it can be gradual. We can make a start and then change what we're doing as it goes forward.
0: I, I think so. I mean, I think what the history of, of what's happened in, in dentistry over a, a number of years is that we've taken slow steps, or little steps, and then we've kind of backtracked a little bit. So, you know, there, there were some schemes. There was a, a, a scheme that existed around 2007 to 2011 uh, a chronic disease dental scheme targeted to people who had dis- chronic diseases that might have been impacted by their oral health or vice versa, um, and and it was it was the first time that really dentistry had been involved in a Medicare type scheme like that, and it it did a lot of good, mm. um, but it became very political, and you know people were accused of rotting the the scheme, and it ended up getting cancelled. We went backwards a little bit. And then we 've got the child dental benefits schedule, which has been around now for a number of years, I think since two thousand um, and fourteen and that 's now well embedded, although not very well utilized about uh, only about forty percent of kids who are eligible to use that can actually use that so you know there are schemes that we 've got, and I think it, it is just a matter of taking a little step forward, building the next part, building the next part um, and it probably then, I think if you know, people had picked up that newspaper last week and saw the $12 billion price tag a year, um, might have been a little bit a little bit worried about that in this sort of economic climate. But I think that there are things that we can do to, to build our way up towards that.
2: Matt Hopcraft is with the Melbourne Dental School. He's the former CEO of the Australian Dental Association's Victorian branch. Bruce on the line from Yarraville. Bruce, good morning. Hello. What did you want to say? I've
4: got a lot of relatives who are dentists. Anyway, uh, and the root cause of uh, the problems is sugar. And uh, with diabetes and, you know, a lot of other health-related issues. It seems pretty simple. If you tax sugar to pay for the scheme, right, it's a win-win situation. One, you'll back people off the sugar, right, and two, uh, it pays for the problem that's created. What do you think?
2: Look, a sugar tax has been mooted over the years many, many times, um, usually in a hope that we'll make some of those uh, sugary beverages in particular a little less affordable. I've never seen anyone talk about where that Uh, money would end up going, though, Bruce, so that's an interesting one.
4: But if you equated it, the reason why we've got a sugar tax, if it's really unpopular, the sugar lobby, the sugar people, right, will get up there and they'll cut your throats, but if you sort of equate sugar with the actual diseases but it's causing and it's going directly to uh, the disease, you know, meaning the dentistry, right, uh, it, it just makes perfect sense. It's very hard for them to challenge them, that. If you ask any dentist, what's the main cause of dental problems? Sugar.
2: Bruce, thanks for calling in. It's actually a really interesting one. And Matt, just very quickly, has that been put forward as a potential funding for some of the dental care we're talking about?
0: Yeah, it has. And and Bruce is spot on. I mean, sugar and and the massive consumption of sugar is the thing that's driving so many of our, our problems from an oral health perspective. But he's right. He talked about type 2 diabetes and obesity and overweight. Um, and all of the associated problems there. So I think the, the group of, of um, you know advocacy bodies and health organisations that, that argue that there should be a tax on sugar-sweetened beverages um, would also then say, yes, use some of that money to fund health promotion, education activities, and use some of that money to fund the treatment of the disease that's being caused by the overconsumption of sugar. So to me, it makes absolutely perfect sense.
2: I want to hear from you this morning. Have you put off dental work? Have you put off appointments? We've heard, from people who have cancelled even checkups because of the expense. What could we make? What changes could we make to ensure that dental is more affordable and being accessed by the people who actually need it? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio.
1: This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
2: My name is Nick Healy. I'm filling in for Rochelle for the next, uh, little while. I'm coming to you from Shepparton in the Goulburn Valley region of Victoria. Anika Stobart is a senior associate with the Grattan Institute. She looks at, amongst many other topics, health reform. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. We have had a lot of conversations about how we change uh, i guess access to dental. I know there's been eight different styles of reform put forward for the government, but one of the big focuses has been on how we make preventative work more accessible.
5: That's right. Uh, I think Matt was touching on this earlier about having a um, uh, you know the huge cost associated with yeah, a universal dental scheme in the future uh, but it's really important that we actually design a new um, dental scheme that is efficient and effective and I think part of that is really focusing on ensuring that funding covers preventative and primary dental care uh, and not just discretionary or cosmetic type care uh, and this will help ensure that uh, we actually address issues before they get worse for people um, and just don't want them to just drill, fill, and bill. Essentially,
2: drill, fill, and bill. I like that very much. Um, as you, you say efficiency, but could you go further into details of what an efficient system looks like from your perspective?
5: Yeah, that's a good question. So essentially, we want a system where we can incentivise, or um, well have regulations and funding that incentivises uh, a good mix of kind of the workforce to do um, the tasks best suited to their skill level. So our, I think the Senate inquiry report touched on this as well, essentially encouraging uh, more oral health therapists to do more of the work rather than getting uh, the dental professionals to do uh, the whole range of things. And that way uh, the funding can uh, be more targeted and uh, hopefully not as costly.
2: And I know one of the great concerns is like so much of Australian healthcare, it's going to be consolidated around metro areas and not actually be out in regional and remote areas where it may well be very desperately needed.
5: Exactly. That's a real issue uh, at the moment. There are some areas where there just really aren't any dental professionals and people have to travel a long way um, you know, after sitting on waiting lists and then having to pay huge amounts of costs on top of that. Uh, and so you yeah, getting access to regional and rural areas is absolutely essential. Um, and this requires particular policies that the government needs to set up because even if we have you know, better funding and broader coverage, uh, it still doesn't fix the problem that you don't have a dentist close by. Uh, so essentially there are a whole range of things governments really need to do in a focus area for them, such as um, incentivising providers to set up new practices in rural areas. Uh, you could even get dental schools into regional universities and also things like better pay for clinicians in public dental clinics.
2: I might quickly bring Matt back into the conversation. Matt Hopcraft, in terms of how we do incentivise people to come out of a university degree uh, in that dental profession, want to set up in a regional area, I mean, ha- is that the way to do it? Are, are there specific ones that could work better?
0: Yeah, that's, and Annika makes a really good point about the, the mal- one of our big problems is a maldistribution of the workforce, both in terms of regional and remote, but also in terms of public and private sector as well. Um, I, I grew up not too far away from where you're speaking at the moment <laughs> in, in the Golden Valley. Um, it's, it's difficult for students from regional areas to, to study at metropolitan universities. So some yes. of the rural universities, I think, have certainly helped to do that. In, in Victoria, there's a, a university out in Bendigo, Charles Sturt University in country New South Wales, James Cook University in far north Queensland. I think some of those things are helping to address the the problem: there was a scheme a number of years ago that helped to um, encourage people to relocate into into regional areas, and I think that that is a good mechanism. Um, I think that we need to revisit another scheme that you know they, <laughs> keep talking about all these schemes that that were trialled and then and then kind of stopped, um, but there was a voluntary, effectively kind of like an internship program. Um, a scheme like that, linked to some of the funding that we're talking about now, that gets new graduates out and incentivises them to go into regional areas or areas of need, um, I think would would make um, would would make a lot of sense. We see in medicine, for example, um, uh, school fee or university fee um, reimbursement for people to work in regional areas. You know, I think there's a number of levers that the government could look at pulling. Um, wrapped up around some of the funding that they might put into some of these new schemes to actually incentivise people to go to areas where we know the, the the problems really exist.
2: Anika, that's obviously a very long-term view when we start talking about incentives to get people out there. I mean, is there a concern that we, we, we need something a bit more rapidly in place?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, workforce issues, um, yeah, as that was just saying, are a real problem. Um, and we, there just aren't Enough. Like if we want a universal scheme, you know, phase into a universal scheme over time, there just isn't the workforce there right now for that. Um, so we absolutely need to start building um, the workforce up now. Um, and I think they need to, governments need to um, you know, respond to this Senate inquiry and, and get things into place this year.
2: So what do we do now, though, for the people who are looking for dental, I, I guess, care right this moment?
5: It's hard to... Do things, change things in the system immediately, right? Like a lot of the policies the government's put in place need to be um, phased in or tested to see that they're actually working. We can't just throw more money uh, at the system
0: uh, willy-nilly.
5: Um, so I guess it needs to be done in, in a smart way.
2: Yeah, and that goes back to your efficiency. Nick Sabat, so, thank you so much for your time this morning. And Nick is a senior associate with the Grattan Institute. On the line, I've got Pam, who's in Berwick. Pam, good morning to you.
6: Hello, Nick. Um, good to hear you. Look, what I'd like to see is a system of clinics for primary school children throughout the metropolitan and country areas. And you know before our kids can go to school or to kinder, they have to have compulsory vaccinations. Now, I think the government should make it compulsory for all primary school children to have a dental checkup every year and if that's done, then all this um, poor dental health will be nicked in the bud. the children will be get used to it they'll be training for young medical. um Dentists coming on and uh, I just think it'll just stop a lot of this you know a lot of the illnesses in later life are caused through poor teeth hygiene.
2: Yeah Pam I, maybe I'm hallucinating but I'm sure that when I was going through primary school in, in regional New South Wales there was a, a big focus on dental education and even trips out to dentistry as part of school. Well why what's happened to it? Well, what has happened? Matt, am I hallucinating that? Do you remember anything along those lines that would have been an element of that?
0: I'm, I'm not sure that I can remember what you were doing in country New South Wales all those years ago, but I, I certainly remember, uh, you know, as, as a kid growing up in, in Mansfield, having school dental vans coming to the ah. school. But, but everything that's old is new again, because uh, I think 2018... The Victorian government um, reintroduced a, a school dental van program that's that's you know been stymied a little bit by the the pandemic in in its rollout, but is trying to bring that back into into getting services out into schools. I, I think New South Wales does still operate um, a school dental van program as well. So I think that that's. That's one of those things that would be really beneficial in regional areas and areas that aren't well serviced by, by dental practitioners, because it really helps in, in areas like that. Um, perhaps not necessarily quite so useful in parts of, of inner Melbourne, for example. Um, but again, it's you know, looking at first, what's the problem that we're trying to solve, and then looking at what's the best solution that might help to, to address that particular problem.
2: But if we're looking at dental care as also having that social inequality, not just that regional inequality, are there not sort of uh, potentially a, a great deal of benefits with a van going out to certain
0: suburbs of Melbourne, for example? I, absolutely, and, and I think I think all of our discussion about about anything that we do in dentistry is there's this tension between. Universal, because that's the way that our our Medicare system is. You know, everyone can access it mm. um, versus a targeted kind of approach. And and I think the that that sort of tension exists because everyone wants to, wants a universal system, but we know that when we have a universal system, the 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 spending invariably goes. More to the people who don't necessarily need it the most, those who have the most disease, those that have the most trouble affording care otherwise. And I think that's why, you know, targeting and whether it's targeting in terms of who's eligible, whether it's targeting a particular service in a geographic area that we know might where, where there's more disease, so whether it's in, you know, parts of outer suburbs of Melbourne or regional uh, Victoria. Um, I think that that's where we need to really be clear about where is the problem, you know, where's the majority of the disease, how are we going to get the, the, the biggest impact for what we spend to make sure that we're improving people's health and well-being who need it the most.
2: Jenny's called in. Jenny, good morning to you. Good
7: morning. Um, I just wanted to second that lady who was calling about, what we've just been talking about, about um, a childhood intervention. My my daughter, when we're we're really fortunate to be able to afford dental care, and um, my children when they were very young, we sent them, you know, took them to the dentist quite regularly. When my daughter was six years old, she her molars were coming through at the back, and they were coming through horizontally. And um, if we hadn't have intervened, had intervention, she needed orthodontic treatment. She she would have lost her back teeth and that's got nothing to do with sugar or anything like that um, and we were very fortunate to get that picked up and I remember thinking how terrible for people who don't have access to this that, you know, we're lucky we have money and we can do it but not everybody can and I also think we we prioritise dental health and not everybody does um, and just because they live in a... A wealthier suburb doesn't necessarily mean they'll prioritise that for their children. I think it's really important.
2: I would just say, I've I've had a text in from someone a bit earlier saying when I was younger, I had teeth out because I couldn't afford a root canal instead. So I, I think, Jenny, you know, what you're discussing, what you're saying, your experiences, they're echoed by a lot of people around. And it's really quite concerning to see it go that way.
7: Mm, Well, I'm just really glad. My daughter's beautiful now. She's got a beautiful smile. She's 24 (laughs) and she's fine. But, um, you know, she wouldn't have had that. She wouldn't have had that. And we all want the best for our children.
2: Jenny, thank you so much for calling in. i love to hear from you this morning. We're talking about dental care. How do we make it more accessible, more affordable? Have you had to put off a dentist visit because of the concerns and how much that bill's going to be at the end of it? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio.
1: This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
2: My name's Nick Healy, filling in for Rochelle. I'm in uh, the ABC Shepparton Studios. Um I've kind of forced Matt Hopcroft from the Melbourne Dental School almost at gunpoint to stay in the um, uh, Melbourne studio where he's continuing to offer some incredible insights into what we're talking about, which is how we make dental care more affordable, And more accessible. And and given where we are at the moment in terms of dental care, in terms of the ongoing expense that some people are just unable to match, where do people end up going for help? What can it mean to our already pressed hospitals and doctors if they're not getting the care they need? Well, Dan Wilson is president of the Rural Doctors Association of Victoria. Dan, uh, Dr Dan, I should say,
8: good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: Do you see, in a regional context, people coming to a GP with dental issues because they find uh, dental care from a professional unaffordable?
8: Yes. Put simply, uh, there are definitely a preponderance of visits to my consultation room uh, on a day-to-day basis, uh, patients coming to see me with oral hygiene, oral emergencies, dental emergencies because of two reasons, uh, that access to dental care is um, geographically difficult but also the cost of dental care for some of my patients is unaffordable.
2: What does that mean to your day-to-day practice when people who are you know, in that situation are in your waiting room?
8: Look, I d- certainly don't have patients occupying my waiting room completely filling up my visits that's not what i'm trying to say but it certainly means that i my patients are not getting optimal care we know that oral health and dental health set people up for the best possible uh, overall health care surprisingly oral care can actually set people up for the best quality life and that actually begins in the in the first 5 years of life so being able to access good dental care in the, in the early parts of life is one thing that I would advocate for as a GP. is something that we as a community should be advocating for together.
2: Dan, and I was just going to ask quickly, and Matt, feel free to jump in on this. Where has been our social disconnect in terms of making sure we value dental care more at those younger ages, As as, as, as Dr. Wilson was just
0: saying? Oh, that's a, it's a really good question. I mean, I, th- I think there is, part of it is th- is this historic separation between the, the dental profession and, and the medical profession and, and dentistry sort of has always historically sat out to the side. Um, so not being integrated into, into the broader health system makes it a little bit more problematic in terms of the way that, you know, we work together to deliver care. But I think it also sends a message to, to patients that, you know, dental care is something that, that is separate from health care. You know, health care is something that that everyone, you know, we, we try and look after for everyone, but dentistry sort of seen, and we've touched on it a little bit, seem to be mm. a, a little bit more cosmetic. Um, I think one of the issues that, that, that Dan raised, you know, the, the people coming to see him at, at the GP or, you know, going to hospital emergency departments, um, is, is really important because one, it's, it's tying up resources that, that should otherwise be used, spent better looking after people's health problems. I mean, you know, Dan doesn't want to be looking after a dental problem and the hospital emergency department doesn't want to be looking after a dental problem that usually they can't actually treat. Most of the dental problems need to be managed by a dentist. And then the other problem that it sometimes leads to is is... Um, prescribing of antibiotics. We know that a lot of patients think that, that a prescription for antibiotics will help to, to fix their dental problem when it invariably won't. It'll just mask some symptoms. And so then we get into this whole conversation about antimicrobial resistance and the problems of, of sort of um, prescribing antibiotics that, that don't actually fix the problem. So there's a real imperative to make sure that people have the ability to see a dentist or a dental professional when they, when they have a dental problem so that they're getting the most appropriate care and that we're not spending money in the healthcare system that, that doesn't actually really solve the problem.
2: Dan Wilson, is is that kind of resonating with you, this idea that many of the people who may be coming to see you with those you know, dental concerns, the oral health issues, are not actually someone you are necessarily able to help in the way they need?
8: It's certainly the case. Many of the patients that I look after, uh, I'm attending to their oral health concerns and... Uh, Many of my patients actually don't have dentition for me to look after. They have maybe one tooth left. They have um, dentures that are ill-fitting. Or if they do have some teeth left, they're coming to see me at the end of the road. They have a severe dental infection and they are hoping that antibiotics are going to hold their infection at bay because they have an unrelenting fear of visiting the dentist because they don't have a really good habit. They've never built a good habit of brushing their teeth. Unfortunately, they haven't got a good habit of maintaining good oral hygiene. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately those habits um, are uh, are what's going to keep um, them in good stead moving forward.
2: education will be a very interesting thing to get into and and how we actually kind of, uh, I guess, make that accessible as well. But, Dan, what do you do for people in that situation? I mean, you know, where you work and we've been talking about access to dental care in regional areas, I mean, are there places to refer them to that don't involve a trip to the city?
8: Yeah, there certainly are um, some options for... um people that come from low socioeconomic backgrounds that don't have um, an excess of funds to be able to access um, dental services that have out-of-pocket funds. So there are some public dental services that are attached to um, public uh, dental clinics. So I work in the um, town of Maryborough and the um, public health service here, Maryborough District Health Service has a dental service However, the wait time to be seen by the de- the public dental service here is in the order of months. So, for example, wow. if you have a a, a, a cavity or a, a significant dental pain that needs to be attended to, uh, it's highly unlikely that you're going to be triaged by the service to be attended to very, very rapidly because, of course, there's many people that have and share your same problem. Um uh, and the only alternative to be seen uh, for an after-hours service is going to incur an out-of-pocket fee in the regional area, either Bendigo or Ballarat.
2: So, Dan, even, even if we were making this more affordable, there would still be accessibility issues in terms of that workforce, which is a topic that's been coming up a lot today. Yeah. Matt, it, I mean... We've talked about sort of ways we start getting this ball rolling. One of the comments that came up from Anika earlier was that starting with seniors and looking at how we make dental care more affordable for
0: them is certainly a place. Is it the only place we can begin this conversation? It's, it's not the only place, and, and I think, you know, Dan, Dan again, on the money, um, you know, just having a look, Maryborough, the, the average waiting time for public dental services in Maryborough is 25 months. So if you've, wow. got, if you've got general care that needs to be done, they, they will look after you if you have an emergency, but if you wanted to go in and get general care looked after, it's a, it's a two-year wait. In Victoria, we've got 1.5 million adults who are eligible to access our publicly funded dental services across the state. It's funded enough to see about 200,000 people a year, and that's why the waiting lists are so long. The The Commonwealth puts in about $108 million a year to help support state publicly-run um, dental services. I think if they increase – and that, that amount hasn't gone up in, I think, six or eight years – if they increase the amount that they provided to publicly-run dental services – that would help to relieve some of the pressure on those services that that Dan's trying to refer his patients to, and, and that would help as well. So, yeah, I, I think we can do more than one thing at a time. I think the Senior Dental benefits Scheme is a really good place to start because there's an area of need. Um, we could think about increasing the, the number of kids in the, or the age range for the Child Dental Benefits Scheme, maybe taking it from 17 up to 25. We could fund public dental services a little bit more and I think that starts to get the ball rolling and starts to help people who really need to, to, to be helped right now.
2: Dr Dan Wilson, just quickly, thank you so much for your time. Dan's a GP, obviously himself, working in a, a regional area. He's the President of the Rural Doctors' Association of Victoria.
0: On the ABC Listen
2: app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio.
1: This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
2: My name is Nick Healy, joining me from the Melbourne studio uh, and from the Melbourne Dental School, I should say, as well as Matt Hopcraft. We heard from Dr Dan Wilson just before Regional GP, works with uh, the uh, Regional Doctors Association, saying that for many times he sees people coming into his clinic with Dental concerns because they cannot actually get out uh, and see the dental practitioners that they need to, mainly around affordability. One of the other worrying trends is that people who end up doing DIY dental care, and some of that's getting driven a little bit by social media. Now, Dr. Arusha Verakone is senior lecturer at the School of Dentistry at the University of Queensland. Good morning to you. Good morning. Well, look. We've been talking this morning about a lack of access to dental care. If you pop on one of the popular social media video platforms, you can often see people making teeth care a bit of a DIY issue. How worrying is that?
6: Um, It's it's quite concerning, actually. uh, Particularly with the younger generation, because we're looking at affordability as one issue, but. We're also seeing uh, a shift in um, people wanting to do a lot of things themselves. And they think that, you know, the, the bathroom renovation sort of <laughs> falls into the same category as, uh, white, you know, making your own whitening toothpaste or uh, doing your own fillings at home or even, even uh, using elastic bands to move your teeth so you can close the gaps.
0: Mm.
2: So- We're talking about some really quite serious stuff. I mean, I'd seen a couple of the videos about making your own whitening powder and I thought, well, that's not necessarily good. I hadn't seen anything around, did you say making your own fillings and doing your own teeth adjustments?
6: Yes, Um, or or getting (sighs) I think in the video that I I, uh, found, it was a a nail technician who was uh, offering the service of uh, widening the gap between your front teeth uh, because it was quite a trend in in that particular community, so <laughs> it's things like that.
2: Mm. Like, I mean, we're talking uh, rubber bands. What are we doing? How is this actually occurring? Um,
6: well, a, a few few people are on on uh, TikTok uh, using these the smaller elastic bands that you can get uh, in for about five to seven dollars online. And uh, essentially, um, fitting them between, like, between some of their teeth where they want to close the gap and leaving them for days. Um, but of course, the danger of that is uh, some, sometimes the, the bands actually disappear into the gum because our mouth's really slippery and uh, causes a lot more uh, infection and, and pain and possible surgery than what's necessary. Mm.
2: I thought we were getting by without a content warning on this, but that's made me shiver a little bit, just the <laughs> thought of it. Arusha, oh, it made my terrifying. teeth hurt. <laughs> yes, I know. Is, is this just something happening overseas that people might be watching here? Have you seen any of this coming into to your clinic?
6: I have actually had a patient oh. who did his own. Well, I've actually had patients who told me, is I work in a regional area and I've been here in Queensland for 20 years. Um, I've had patients who've actually been so desperate to not, i have being unable to get to a dentist because you know I was an eight-hour drive away, um, and, and told me how they've taken their own teeth out. Well, they haven't completely, but you know enough to get the break the root so that the the pus would come out and that would you know reduce the pain of the abscess. So I know people people. In desperate times, we'll take uh, desperate measures. Sadly,
2: mm. Matt Hopcroft, was that
0: a shudder from you? I heard in the background <laughs> on that. I'm surprised you heard that all the way up in Shepparton, <laughs> but, but yeah. And I mean, you know, Rosha makes such a such an important point. And you know, people people will be driven to to these desperate measures, and it and it mm-hmm. points to an absolute failure in our system. That you know, I mean, it's horrifying to think that someone would pick up a pair of pliers and put them on their own teeth. To to relieve pain that they can't get managed in any other way. I mean, it, it's a it's a real failure in our system.
2: Arusha, it feels like one of those old jokes about how tough your grandfather is. He does his own sort of dental work. But do you think that that's more of a concern in your regional area that you're in?
6: Um, not. So much where I am because we are reasonably well-serviced with a mix of private and public services. Uh, but I certainly have patients that uh, will drive. Um, I have one patient that comes to see me. For, it's a seven-hour drive for him um, to come to his appointment. And, of course, he does other things while he's here, uh, but that's part of that, uh, li- like that aspect that they've uh, acknowledged. That if they are going to live out where they do, and in this particular case, it's Kanamala, um, that, that, that they will have to drive. But of course, this is all good if you're just coming in for your regular checks and cleans or, you know, stocking up on uh, mm. pantry supplies. But not so if you're stuck in uh, an emergency situation.
2: That is an incredibly important element because in many cases we've been asking people, are they putting off those checkups or that little bit of dental work because of the affordability? When it is an emergency, when it's a broken tooth, when it's that debilitating pain, you don't necessarily get the option to put it off.
6: No, you don't. And uh, that, that in itself creates a, another realm. And I suppose then we start seeing our GPs being, um, as mentioned before, being um, burdened with that or even the emergency services um, having to deal with uh, people who are in significant pain um, that, that need that help and assistance.
2: Arusha, I know you've also written a bit about why seniors dental health needs to be a focus, why it's important for that to be affordable.
6: Um, it It is, and also just how it changes, because uh, that was the focus of my PhD, was looking at um, how our teeth change. So there's collagen and mineral in our teeth, and as we get older, the characteristics change. To, and I usually liken it to, say, the difference between um, Rocky Road, which is quite squishy and difficult to break, and that's like a young person's tooth. Uh-huh. And then someone, everyone knows chocolate. Sorry, dentists and chocolate shouldn't mix, <laughs> but everyone knows chocolate, so I use this. And, and like, something like peanut brittle, which is really like what our older, sort of senior um, teeth, um, the consistency of those teeth are uh, as we get older. And so they're prone to breaking, more prone to getting holes or cavities. Uh, and of course, as we get older, we, um, our manual dexterity reduces, and our ability to actually see what's going on or understand or cognit- cognition, all of these things um, contribute to uh, what people come in with uh, when we see them. And a lot of my patient demographic that I see in my practice is um, at least 60 and above. And I do have some incredible patients who are in their 90s that, uh, come in religiously every six months wow. um, yeah it is its it's inspiring to me too <laughs> um, but yeah it, it is it is possible we do definitely need to make it more affordable and more accessible as well because many of us are keeping our teeth um, for longer as we age, and we need um, something in our system to support the people who have. Uh, worked so hard to keep their their smiles going for longer uh, because as you know as you can imagine we need more support um, in other aspects such as mobility and uh, medications and in general health uh, but we also need that support dentally as well.
2: Dr. Roshar Viracon, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, the Doctor is Senior Lecturer at the School of Dentistry and also a dentist working in a regional area. Matt Hopcroft, before I let you go very quickly, how fast does the government need to act on making at least some changes?
0: Yeah, Nick, I mean, I think they need to be doing something in this in this term of government. It's not something that we can let wait until the next election. There are some really clear recommendations and there's a pile of reports and you know, inquiries that have been done over the last 10 or 15 years that all sort of are saying similar, similar things. So I think they can, they can take some action now. I know that the government has to respond to this inquiry within the next three months. Um, what we're really hoping and, and calling on them to do is to make a, a really clear statement and start to prioritise oral health because all of the stories that we've heard today Um, really kind of highlight that and you know I I think for the listeners out there you you said at the outset of this hour um, you know what are people thinking about their own oral health and their Mm. their trip to the dentist this year just to really encourage people that this is something that is really important if we focus on prevention and getting in early to prevent some of the problems that we've been those horror stories that we've heard about really focus on prevention make sure that you prioritise your oral health and we'll keep working on the government to look after you
2: Matt Holcroft, thank you so much. Matt's from the Melbourne Dental School, former CEO of the Australian Dental Association's Victorian branch as well. Thanks to your company today. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the fear of flying. Some confronting images in the news. look forward to speaking to you tomorrow.